Hey, good morning, Northeast. It is great to see you. And happy November. Happy extra hour of sleep. Uh, this is the Sunday when I'm thoroughly reminded that if you fall asleep, it's totally on me because you got enough sleep. So it would be on me. Yeah. Uh, also, man, as we've wrapped up October, I just want to say thank you. Uh, if you were one of the, the many that just chose to rally and gush on our pastors in October and show your appreciation, then on behalf of the pastors, thank you. you you've spoiled us and you've made us feel um, really like this is family. And that's the point, right? And so, so thank you very much. Um, also, if you're new or you're just maybe catching up after being away for a little bit, uh, this series is really designed to work together. So if you've missed one of the weeks, I want to send you back, catch up on our website or catch up on the podcast. And with that also, we've dropped a new podcast, a podcast called One More Thing. Every Wednesday, we drop a new edition of One More Thing where we go beyond the message. We give you one more thing to help you walk out your faith in the middle of the work week. It's like an audio devotional, if you will. But we're unpacking extra things that we don't have time for in this service and even extra questions that we're getting on this series. So check that out. Help you grow in your faith in the middle of the work week is our prayer. Also in the lobby, if you haven't checked out the spiritual gift opportunity wall, uh, there are opportunities where you can serve using your gift at Northeast and beyond Northeast. Today in this series, we've had 476 opportunity sheets taken, which is amazing. But here's the deal. That's not about you having more information. That's about us putting into practice what God has gifted us with. And so, if you haven't yet checked that out or haven't yet talked with God or talked with someone on staff about how you can plug in and serve using the gifts he's given you, that's our goal. Because our goal in this series is that all of us would come before God and say, here am I, send me. All right? So on that note, I want to pray and I want to ask that God would protect us from distraction, that God would focus us in on his voice through his scriptures, because I believe he has something to say to us and a faith that he desires to grow in us. So would you pray with me? God, our Heavenly Father, we pursue you in this moment, and we ask that just as you spoke through your Holy Spirit and gave us the scriptures, would you now speak again? Through them and through him, your spirit, deep in our hearts, God, to open our eyes. And Father, would you today increase our faith, that we would be emboldened to live for you and to believe, Father, that you are exactly who you say you are and you've done exactly what you said you have done through the power of your spirit in the work of Jesus Christ on that cross. Father, increase our faith that we might walk more fully in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When I was in the ninth grade, I heard a message preached on Matthew chapter 17, the words of Jesus, where Jesus said, uh, truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And I heard that message, and it just so happens that at that time, in the ninth grade, we were living in South America in the Andes Mountains. And so I went home, 
And I looked out my bedroom window, which just happened to look at the peak of Mount Pichincha, which sits, you know, 13, 14,000 some odd feet in the air. And I remember closing my eyes and I remember praying with all of my might to the Lord, Lord, I believe, I have faith that you can move any mountain, any obstacle. Lord, move that mountain. And I opened my eyes and guess what? Nothing happened. (laughs) Nothing happened. And I remember being so confused in that moment. So I closed my eyes tighter this time, and I prayed harder this time, you know, mustering up the faith, no pun intended. I didn't even intend that one, but that was good. Um, Mustering up the faith, right, the size of a mustard seed. Some of you are like, oh, I get it now. Um, And I prayed again. I'm like, Lord, I believe, and opened my eyes, and again, nothing. And I remember in that moment being profoundly confused because the scriptures were very plain, The pastor had said it himself, if I just had the faith the size of a mustard seed, I could say, right, I could pray this thing and God would do it. And I remember time and time again praying that prayer, looking out that window, waiting for God to move and never seeing God move. And I left that window not only confused but profoundly disheartened. And my guess is that I'm not the only one in the room who's had one of those experiences with God. For you've prayed for a miracle, but the miracles never come. You've prayed for healing, but the healing never happened. You prayed for God's provision, but he never provided, and you were still waiting. And you left those moments, much like I left that window, confused and disheartened. Why would God call us to this if he wouldn't respond? It's these experiences that make the next set of spiritual gifts all the more difficult to understand. And if we're honest with ourselves, all the harder to accept. Because in the midst of the list of the spiritual gifts in Scripture are tucked away the gifts of faith, of healing, and of miracles. And after some of our experiences crying out to God, we are not sure what to do with these gifts. Does God even work in these ways anymore? And if these are gifts that he gives, does he actually give them to people, or is there something else happening in the text that we need to better understand? So what do we do with these gifts? Today we're going to look at the gifts of faith, of healing, of miracles. What we're going to see is that these gifts are far less about a power that we possess to do as we see fit, and they are far more about a faith that we're called to embrace as we see God to move as God sees fit. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, which is in the last half of your Bible. So about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, you'll, you'll find 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's after Acts and Romans, or power on whatever device you use, pull up your favorite Bible app and find it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is one of the, the longest, the lengthiest conversations on the spiritual gifts in the Scriptures. So we're going to spend the next several weeks digging into this a little bit more deeply to properly understand what Scripture says about these gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll put it on the screen so you can follow along. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the context of 1 Corinthians is really important for us to understand as we try to unpack these gifts. The church in Corinth was in a deeply pagan culture, and most of the believers in this church had come out of deeply pagan backgrounds that it involved all sorts of mysticism. And the crux of this was that they believed there was not just one God or one spirit, there was many spirits. And consequently, in your pursuit, you could pursue these spirits and you could kind of move up in growth and understanding of the spirits and therefore gain a greater possession, not of the spirits, but also a greater possession of power as you grew in understanding and and association with these many spirits. So the goal of mysticism was to pursue greater and greater levels of spirituality that you might therefore exhibit greater and greater power or, or manifestations out of that. And so much of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians is correcting them, which is why he begins that concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed because you're dragging in this background and experience with many spirits and a desire to grow in order to attain these greater things. He says, so I don't want you to be uninformed. So here's the deal. In God's economy, and we'll talk through verses one through three next week, but verse four, in God's economy, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And we need to understand what Paul is saying here so we can properly understand then the gifts that he's pointing us to. A couple of things then. First, he says there's a variety of gifts by the same Spirit, meaning there's no one gift that's greater than another because they're all given by the same God, by the same Spirit, for the same purpose that he would equip the body for good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. So there's a variety of gifts, but stop pursuing and thinking that one is higher than another or thinking that one is greater than another when you achieve a certain level of some kind. There's a variety, but they're all given by the same God, rooted in the same source in the same place. Lest you be tempted to believe one is greater, or aspire to one over another, or think that one will come through another method, don't. They come from the same Spirit. Not only that, secondly, he says there's a variety of service. A variety of service, meaning there's no one ministry in the church that's greater than another. Okay? A variety of service, but they're all rooted in the same Lord. So there's no one service, one ministry in the church greater than another. Here's the deal teaching adults is not greater than teaching children in the kingdom of God. Someone from the next-gen ministry, say amen. Thank you. 
Do we believe this? Because the error in so many churches is it becomes so hung up on the word gifts that we believe that you graduate up and eventually, if you're really good and really mature, you teach the older people. And Paul would say, that's a lie from the pit of hell because there's a variety of gifts and some are gifted to teach. And there's a variety of service and serving those who are young is no less than serving those who are old. And serving those who are old is no less than serving those who are young. It all comes from the same Lord, bearing the same purpose, building up the body for the glory of God. And third, he says there's a variety of activities, meaning acts. There's meaning in this, there's no one expression of the Spirit that is greater than another. The Corinthians are chasing expressions of the Spirit, thinking this is greater, this will make me look better, I'll be more mature if I do this. He's saying, hey, stop it. Stop chasing expressions of the Spirit. They all come from the same Lord. There's a variety of them. He gives as he chooses, but they are all equal. No one expression of the Spirit is greater and is rooted in a deeper spirituality because they're all rooted in the same heavenly Father. Why is this important? Because Paul's reminding us that all of this comes from God. It's all through the same Spirit. There's no rank. There are no levels that we achieve. There's no greater level for those who are more spiritual or figured something else out with God that you haven't yet. And this is important because so often when we get into these gifts of faith or healing or miracles, our tendency in the flesh is to think, oh, healing and miracles, that's next level stuff. And people who have those gifts must know Jesus in a deeper way. They're like the super athletes in the spiritual gift playing field. And this is the sense, and this is what's happening in Corinth. And Paul is saying, no, flag on the play, time out. Because it's all rooted in the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, for the same purpose, his glory, not our own. And if we don't understand this before we dive in and talk about the power gifts, then we will pursue them in the wrong way for the wrong reason, and we will misunderstand what God is up to. This means that as we enter these gifts, faith, healing, miracles is no greater than service and no greater than mercy and no greater than the one who works behind the scenes administrating to the glory of God. Amen? Paul levels the playing field and focuses us on the fact that these gifts come from God to make much of God, not us. And with that then, he opens the door And he introduces us to the power gifts. Now, if you haven't been with us, we've talked through the gifts in these three categories. These categories simply help us understand how the gifts work and God's purpose behind them. The categories are, by way of reminder, the love gifts, which manifest the love, the care, the compassion of God, service, mercy, administration. The word gifts, which reveal the nature, the action, the purposes of God, teaching, evangelism. And then the power gifts, which demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God. And at this, Paul dives in 
And I'll read again from verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, the good of the church, the good of the body, the glory of God. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. We talked about those last week with word gifts. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. So Paul opens the door on this, and the first of the power gifts we see is faith. Now understand, faith is both a spiritual gift, but it is also the undercurrent, the foundation, the backbone of every spiritual gift. It's really the foundation of everything in the Christian faith, is it not? The gift of faith is not to be confused with saving faith, where the scriptures call us to have a faith in Jesus Christ. We are all called to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, Scripture calls us all to to repent that we are in need because of sin in us that has separated us from God, a sin that we cannot overcome in and of ourselves. So Scripture calls us to have a saving faith where we trust that God did what he has said in the Scriptures, that he sent his son to die on the cross, that through his perfect sacrifice, we might be saved. Our sins would be atoned for, and we might be reconciled to God. And the Scriptures say that all of us are called to have that kind of faith. All believers to maintain that faith, even those far from God, are called to embrace that saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. The saving faith does not mean that we have a power in and of ourselves It instead is a humble confession that God alone can save. And when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. His work, not ours. This is saving faith. And this faith is to be present in the life of every believer. And yet, Paul says here, at 1 Corinthians 12, that there appears to be a gift, a spiritual gift of faith that some are given, where they're given a greater capacity to more boldly believe in God for greater things. So here's our definition of faith. Faith is the God-given ability to discern with confidence the will and purpose of God to work, even in the midst of overwhelming odds. It is the God-given ability to discern with confidence the will and purpose of God to align themselves with the will and purpose of God, to work even in the midst of overwhelming odds. It's not that these people can look out a a window and move a mountain. It's that they believe God can. And they have a boldness to that faith and a boldness to their prayer life that often we question. We don't understand because we don't have it. This is not a self-confidence, self-confidence being a confidence in my level of faith. If only I'd had more faith, that mountain would have moved. That's what I walked away saying in ninth grade. That's a self-confidence, though, a focus on my faith as opposed to a focus on a sovereign God. So this is not a self-confidence in our faith, but rather a God-confidence in his power and his ability alone. These people are rarely deterred by life's circumstances. These people, when they... When life is falling apart around them, they don't get discouraged like often I do. They simply get on their knees and they pray in a deeper way. And they pray, pray those kinds of prayers that make the rest of us uncomfortable. Asking God to move like immediately in very specific ways. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can't tell God what to do. 
But they with faith pray with specificity, expecting God to move. This is, I believe, Karen Thomas. And I know I referenced her last week talking about evangelism. But I have a friend who believes that those with the gift of evangelism also often have the gift of faith. So I asked permission to share this story. Karen and, and her husband, Tom, lead a ministry where they reach out to Muslims, Muslims who are here in the country serving alongside armed forces and being trained. And, and not all that long ago, uh, this group of men that they were spending time with and trying to point to Jesus, they were coming up on an exam that they had to take, uh, a difficult exam and in the midst of that, this particular gentleman was very nervous. And so I think it was in the car that we were traveling, and Karen offered she would pray for him that God would help him pass this test. And another piped up in the car and said, well, prayer doesn't work. We pray all the time, four to five times a day, and nothing ever changes. Karen was like, okay. Well, I'm going to pray that God allows him to pass. In her mind, she's like, you don't say that to God, right? That, that's a challenge. So she prayed there on the spot that God would help him pass the exam. But as she recounted to me, when she got home, she had a conversation with God. She's like, I don't feel like that was bold enough. So Lord, I'm going to pray that everyone in the class would pass that exam, which by the way, never happens. And so she prayed that everyone would pass and then waited on the backside of the exam, she called up, not the guy that she had prayed for, but the one who'd questioned the power of prayer, and asked him on the phone, hey, did so-and-so pass the exam? Yes, mom, he did, because they all call her mom. Yes, mom, he did. Interesting. Well, did anyone else pass the exam? And he begins to spout off all of the names of all of the people in the class, because they all passed the exam. Now fast forward a little bit, because a little while later they found themselves out at a picnic, I believe in a park, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because she's watching in this service. <laughs> and in the midst of this, this man who hadn't really believed in the power of prayer, but now was kind of like, whoa, comes up to her and it's hot, it's summer, and he's like, Karen, can't you pray that your God will bring a cloud over the sun and make it down. <laughs> yeah, you know where the story's going. So Karen prays exactly that. And the next thing you know, a cloud comes and blocks the sun and provides shade. Now, is this to say that the next time we're planning a party, <laughs> we best call Karen Thomas and check in on the weather and have her pray? No. Because it's not Karen that possesses the power or the ability. That's not how this works. It's about a God who alone possesses the ability. But it's about him placing in some of us a heart and a burden and a greater sense of understanding that he truly is able and a willingness to pray as such with bold expectation that he might be revealed and his glory made known to those who need to see it. This is the gift of faith. But right on the heels of faith, Paul lists healing and miracles. Healing and miracles. And this is where things get difficult. 
These gifts are often at the center of our hesitancy to believe the spiritual gifts because of their abuse. Because we've all flipped through the channels, we've all seen the televangelists who claim to heal people, and yet we've all perhaps prayed prayers and not seen someone heal, and so we're now confused about these gifts. There are a couple of things, though, that we need to remember. First, just as with all of the gifts in Scripture, we must remember that healing, as with every other gift, is subject to God's work in God's way as God chooses. Never our own. None of the spiritual gifts are about us possessing a power that we can use as we will. Because all of the spiritual gifts are about us rooting ourselves in a God who alone possesses the power to do what we cannot do. Scripture teaches that there are even times that Jesus could not heal. What? Matthew chapter 13. Jesus goes into a town, and the scriptures record in Matthew 13 that he was unable to heal. Why? Because of the lack of faith of those in the city. In other instances, Jesus did not heal because it wasn't the will of the Father. And repeatedly, Jesus expresses throughout the Gospels he was there to do only the will of the Father. Jesus himself was subject then to the will and the work of the Father as the Father saw fit when the Father saw fit. So this is not about us possessing the power that God alone and his divine attributes he possesses. These gifts are about a deeper burden. Here's how we define it. Healing is the God-given burden of some members of the body to continually petition God for the restoration of health and or wholeness in those who are sick and suffering. The God-given burden of some members of the body to continually petition God for the restoration of health and or wholeness in those who are sick or suffering. This is far more about possessing a deep call to faith, a deep burden for prayer, than it is about possessing a particular power. The key here is petition. Why? Because only God possesses the power to move mountains. Only God can heal. The gospel tells Jesus, right, talking about the great physician. That is him, not us. These gifts are more about intercession and faith, about a deep burden. Like all other gifts, we must understand that we are all called to pray for healing. Just as we're all called to do the work of evangelism, though some are gifted for it, we're all called to be generous, though some are gifted towards generosity. We're all called to pray for healing. James chapter 5 teaches us this. James 5, verses 13 to 16. Is anyone among you sick or suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or person has great power as it is working. Is there any question as to what James' focus was in the text? It was prayer. Prayer, 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 and the prayer of faith 
makes well. The prayer of faith restores and forgives. James' focus was prayer. Otherwise, hospital ministry would be easy. Find the people the gift of healing and just send them to do the work that the doctors can't do, right? Miracles would be easy. Find all the people who have the gift of miracles, make them missionaries. This isn't about possessing an ability that God alone possesses. It's about a burden, a petition. It's about coming alongside of God, sensing when and where he's wanting to do a work and interceding there. Miracles then similarly, I believe, are less about one's ability and more about one's faith, one's petition, prayers, because it's all, again, about God's work and ability. This is why at Northeast we emphasize these gifts as someone who's being given a particular burden and senses what God is doing but comes alongside of that in prayer. Here's the definition then of miracles. Miracles is the gift, the God-given burden of some members in the body to petition God to work in such ways that his miraculous intervention in the normal course of things is made visible so that he alone is made evident and given glory. It's a God-given burden of some members of the body to petition God to work in such ways that his miraculous intervention in the normal course of things is made visible so that he alone is made evident and given all the glory. It's worth noting that many scholars argue that these gifts were only given to the apostles at the birth of the church in order to validate the message and validate the gospel as it went forth. I understand that argument. It's a very good argument. If you believe that these are powers then that people possess, that's the right argument to take. But if you believe that this is aligning yourself in faith and petition because only God possesses these abilities, and I believe Scripture would indicate that these gifts still exist, but in a different way than we often see them misused, which is why Paul says we have to understand rightly these things. Every time I read on these, the example that comes out is the example of George Mueller. If you've read at all Christian biographies or stories of missionaries, and you've come across the name George Mueller. And I came across this story, which I think perfectly summarizes this. A transatlantic sea captain, after 22 hours on the ship's bridge, in a dense fog off of the banks of Newfoundland, which is Canada, but that's not why I picked the story. He was, the captain was startled by a tap on the shoulder it was Mueller, George Mueller, then in his 70s. Captain, I've come to tell you I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. When the captain said it was impossible, Mueller replied, if your boat can't take me, God will find some other way. <laughs> I've never broken an engagement in 57 years, he said. I'd like to help, responded the captain, but what can I do? Let's go below and pray, Mueller suggested. But Mr. Mueller, don't you know how dense the fog is? My eye is not on the fog, he said, but on the God who controls the fog in every circumstance of my life. Down on his knees, Mueller prayed the simplest prayer the captain had ever heard. In his opinion, it fit a child of about nine. 
O Lord, if thou will, remove this fog in five minutes. Thou dost know the engagement made for me in Quebec for Saturday. Putting his hand on the captain's shoulder, Mueller restrained him from praying. First, he said, you don't believe God will do it. And second, I believe he's already done it. So there's no need for you to pray. Open the door, captain, and you'll find the fog gone. And so it was. Mueller kept his Saturday engagement in Quebec. Modestly, Mueller would later write, it pleased the Lord to give me, in some cases, something like the gift of faith, so that unconditionally I could ask and look for an answer. This, I believe, is what Paul is speaking of in the power gifts. He believed he had the gift of faith. Many would say, no, that's miracles. You have the gift of miracles. He understood he's simply aligning himself to the one who could do miracles. So what do we do with this? What do we do with these gifts? What's the takeaway as we close? The takeaway is this, that we as a church need not ask for an ability, but we need ask for faith. Let us not, as a church, ask for an ability. Let us Ask boldly for faith. And oh, that we would be a church marked by our deep and profound and bold faith in a God who is more than able. When I was in college, I had this dorm mate named Micah. Micah was a bodybuilder, which is really unusual at a Bible college. Micah lived on the second floor of the dorm my first year of college. One afternoon, I ran upstairs to connect with someone, and as I shot down the hall, uh, I ran into Micah, who was coming out of the showers and just wearing a towel, and I was stunned because clearly I'd never seen anything like that in the mirror before. (laughs) He was huge. He had abs coming out of his ears, and I was just in shock but mostly because of his legs. Micah's legs made mine look huge. He had tiny legs. He skipped leg day. He had this huge upper body, but there was very little that it was resting on. I remember in that moment just both being stunned in one hand and another stunned by like, how is physics operating right now, keeping you upright? And here's the thing. Here's my fear, and church, I don't say this lightly. I fear that the church today is like Micah. That we hold on to certain gifts and we exercise them greatly. But when it comes to faith and when it comes to the power of God, we've skipped leg day. We've minimized, because of our lack of faith, or because we can't figure it out or understand it. And so we have exercised in some areas, but we are all mass up top with very little to stand on. And faith, make no mistake, is the foundation. And if we miss this, we miss everything. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Scripture over and over and over again says that the righteous will live by faith. 
Oh, church, that we would not miss God's ability simply because we don't understand. Oh, that we would not exercise certain gifts to the detriment of the others and end up looking out of proportion as the church. So if there's anything that we need to seek, may we seek greater If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.